This is Entheogen, talk about tools for generating the divine within. Find the notes and links for this and other episodes at entheogenshow.com. Sign up to receive an email when we release a new episode. Follow us at Entheogen Show on Twitter and like Entheogen Show on Facebook. Today is February 21st, 2016, and we are discussing sacred plant retreats with Maxwell Wieland of Munai Medicine in Peru. Welcome to the show, Max. Hi, thanks for having me, Joe. It's a pleasure to be here. We finally have internet, so I'm glad I could uh, finally be online to talk with you guys. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, so you guys are um, you know not in the deep Amazon. You're you're in a you know somewhat more um, sort of comfortable, easy, easily more easily accessible location, and yet uh, internet is not you know ubiquitous yet. Yeah, I heard uh, from a lo- from a friend who visited uh, some local natives that they found out the Spanish came in the 1900s. So things move a little slower here. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. What's that, uh, what's that uplink like? Do you have any idea what the uh, type of internet uh, service you end up with? Is it satellite-based? I mean, Yeah, it sounds... we went from having uh, these little USB drives that we'd have to recharge, and it seemed like they were stealing megabytes, hmm. to fiber optics. Oh, wow. So <laughs> it was a, there was no in-between. Like dial-up just never happened here. Wow. Wow. So can you tell us a little bit more about sort of your location, you know, where you are in relation to yeah. like Lima? So, uh, once you, uh, you usually internationally, you're going to land in Lima. And if you're coming down to Cusco, that's what you're going to do for Machu Picchu. So Cusco is this like city in the mountains. You, you leave Cusco heading towards Machu Picchu and you enter this thing called the Sacred Valley. And this is where there's a lot of retreat centers. It's kind of a trending area in terms of uh, Western facilitation. And uh, this is uh, about, a, I want to say, a three-hour area to get through the whole thing before you get to the train station to leave for Machu Picchu. So I'm right between Cusco and Machu Picchu, about 50 kilometers from Machu Picchu, actually. Wow. So that sounds like an ideal location for, you know, for like a you know, tourist, for lack of a better word, to uh, yeah, you know, have still, those. Ex- we're still in the Andes, but it's not as cold as Cusco, and it's not as low uh, and as buggy as Machu Picchu. So we kind of have this beautiful, like, between 50 to 70 Fahrenheit, and half the year, it looks a little bit like Mars, i got to be honest with you, because there's no vegetation, and these mountains are really uh, intense, and at night there's no uh, clouds, so you get this incredible view of the Milky Way for the whole, whole dry wow. season, then the rainy wow. season comes in, you get a little bit of a different temperature because of the play of moisture, and also the sound of rain, uh, hugely, bent, like, that's, that's what I look forward to, so I lose the stars and I gain the rain sounds. It sounds like an even yeah. trade. Yeah, yeah. Max, when yeah. I was looking at the uh, at the, the website the first time for your center, I just thought, you know, when this uh, when this show has a, has a bigger budget, we're doing the next show on location because <laughs> the place it looks awesome. Yeah, come on down. <laughs> I think all three of us would love to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, bring your families, bring your moms. That'll be a, that'll be a blast. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Well, Brad, you've had a, an experience in Peru. Um, I have, yeah few months in Peru in 2014 and two of those months are actually in the the sacred river valley so mainly in Cusco but uh but yeah no I spent some time in that part of the world and it's it's magnificent you know for a lot of reasons not just the landscape and the and the weather but culturally and experientially it, it, it was fantastic I was curious Max if you know Leslie Myberg uh, I know of her and I'm pretty sure that I've seen her just walking by because of like, I see faces. So, yeah. um, but I don't actually know her intimately. Okay, cool. I was just curious how small the world is there. Cause I, I, 
I drank, I did like a, a day, basically a day retreat, um, drinking San Pedro at her house, which is actually in Cusco. So it's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess she's known as La Gringa there. And she, a friend of mine had read a book called the hummingbird's journey to God. And she's, she's featured in that. And so she sought her out specifically. And I was kind of along for the ride at the time. Um, but I had a great experience, you know, it, it was really, it was really fascinating, um, you know, personally and, and, you know, her, her house and she's a fascinating individual. Um, but yeah, that, that I have many fond memories. I did go into the jungle, uh, in Puerto Maldonado. Um, mm, yeah. And spent like a the week. wild west. Yeah. And I spent a week at a, an ayahuasca retreat there. Um, no, it was called, or it still is called Canto Luz. Curious if you've come across that one. Uh, no, I haven't actually gone to Porto. I've gone to uh, parts in Manu, like Shipatiri. Okay. So I haven't heard of them either. Yeah. But I am, I am familiar with Leslie's uh, situation in Cusco. And I actually lived off the road that her one of her hostels is on, uh, Tondo Pato. Oh yeah, and that's so. I'd I'd walk by every day and see Casa de la Gringa's like hostel and you know people traveling, going in and out. Yeah, for the most part, first... I think people really uh, appreciate the experience there. Yeah, that's a great part of Cusco too. It's like away from the the main square area, kind of up the hill. Um, yeah, the San Blas of... area is kind of an artesian spot, and if you're looking to meet people who are there traveling, and that's any of those cafes in that area and you'll 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 find yourself in a nexus of connections well how long have you been in that area like in Cusco or or where you're at now have you been either going there on a regular basis or been there full time uh once my uh legal situation ended in the U.S. I spent one more week there and uh left in 2013 to come down and kind of check it out kind of had an idea that I would be down here for more than a vacation but that was just a two and a half month kind of exploration. I got a little bit of Cusco, a little bit of the Amazon, and a little bit of the Ancash region, which is known to have this place called Chavinde Wantar, uh, what we could just call the San Pedro Temple. So I found a lot of interest there. And uh, after like the time here, I had to go back, figure out my financial situation, but I, I knew immediately I was returning. And so I came back to the San Pedro Temple and lived there for about two and a half months this time. And early 2015, found myself in Cusco in like March because of uh, financial stress. Uh, the San Pedro Temple is not really a very touristic place, so there's not a whole lot of opportunity for commerce there. Okay. And it's kind of already taken by people in the field who have a pretty legitimate established practice. So I came down to Cusco and I started to connect with different medicine people. And it turns out that uh, this this tea that I prepare is... Uh, impressive to some people and so we ended up forming a center as a result and uh, it's been uh, just a remarkable ride the last like nine months I gotta say. Wow yeah you've been so you've been with Munai for a little over a year it sounds like at this point and well no since its inception in May oh, okay. of 2015. I see so it's been oh, wow. just just under a year um, as we speak like you said about nine months that that this particular center has been in operation and this was you, you're one of the founders. Yeah, yeah. We we opened our first retreat on August, uh, I think, 17th, I believe. So wow. that was when we, we opened the doors. But I, I moved in officially in June, but uh, all the paperwork started a little bit earlier than that. And it took some time after that, honestly, another like a couple months of 
pretty intense paperwork. So there's kind of a legal, you know, framework or like a protocol for, you know, spinning up one of these uh, centers. Is, is that right? I mean, there's a, there's a framework for it. There's a process. From what I understand, it's just easier to be understood as a resort or a bed and breakfast than it is to be understood as a place that facilitates uh, experiences. Mm-hmm. So, hmm. but it's you, kind of the situation here. <laughs> now, you've had um, experience, I understand from reading your bio on the site, uh, with entheogens for a decade or so. Um, you've worked with San Pedro, which I guess you call uh, Wachuma. Um, yeah. ayahuasca, uh, changa, which is otherwise known as DMT, um, psilocybin mushrooms, iboga, morning glories, uh, salvia. Had um, to try them all. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Max, how did you get started yeah. uh, down this road? Uh, I was 16. I had recently found out about marijuana and then found out about psilocybin mushrooms. I tried like so, growing so my it was, mushrooms. So it was a gateway drug for you? Yeah, I'd have to say uh, it, it was. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, you know, the, uh, the mushrooms, it was like, okay, well, I can take large amounts of these other things, and I have a very novel experience, so I'll try it with the first time taking mushrooms. So I took about seven grams the first time, and uh, I thought I met God and a whole bunch of other stuff, and it kind of really unhinged me for a few years. Uh, started to become aware of shamanism and ayahuasca, began dieting, and after about two years of ayahuasca, like unrepressed the the mushroom memories and uh it was it was quite powerful really like uh, i'm still reeling with that one it's like a realization that i was the deity that i thought was god and uh, it kind of like presents a conundrum as to my linear experience as a human because i was like giving myself advice but from a perspective i couldn't recognize was my own wow did you say recently your experiences with ayahuasca has kind of recontextualized that initial experience with mushrooms or or did you mean like when you were still a teenager you were drinking ayahuasca as well? Yeah, that too. Wow. In in <laughs> so, the United States though, like, bef- yep. like before okay. Boone, wow. North Carolina was uh where that kind of changed pace, but that was a uh, it was about 2 years in the US before the legal uh stuff happened and then I still kept with it but not as much and I found out the cactus was a more consistent entheogen that I could operate with because uh, I was looking for consistency. The ayahuasca was like, I'd have to make a pot and then drink and drink and drink, and then finally, bam, it works. But by that point, you might have run out, and uh, it's, it is technically illegal because it contains DMT and it's dried, and so uh, due to the whole probation situation, I didn't want to have anything potentially iffy, and so I went with San Pedro because it's legal as a living specimen. At one point, I even had the DEA in my house telling me that I was going to go to prison while on probation. And I was like, no, you can't because these are for growing purposes. And so because my intention was declared such that it was legal, they, they had no alibi. Wow. Uh, yeah, so it, it's pretty good defense. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, if you keep the plant in the dirt, then you're 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 good to go. If you, if no, you... as long as it's living, it, it okay. can actually live like in a box in the dark without any attention for two years, quite successfully. Wow, interesting. So that, I told them I was starting a farm in my apartment, <laughs> a San Pedro farm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see any problem there. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the law didn't say your idea, your you know, intention couldn't be insane, so. Right, right. Well, I mean, there, there. You can still correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you can still buy, you know, living San Pedro cacti online, right? Even oh, shipping within the U.S. Yeah, I'd have to. I have to say, I'm very thankful for the the people who have had these farms for the last generation or two, uh, mm-hmm. because it's provided the opportunity to kind of like 
learn to work with the plants and uh, my own personal experience with it. I, I can't be more grateful. So. so we should mention just for listeners, you know, San Pedro is a mescaline containing uh, cactus. Um, the, the sort of traditional one in, in the U S specifically, I guess is, is, um, is the peyote cactus, but San Pedro is much more common these days. Is that right? Yeah. The peyote is a small button type cactus with like a carrot like root. And it's typically harvested from the soil upward. Uh, it takes a couple years for it to kind of get into a maturation that it's worth ingesting. The San Pedro in one growing season, it could grow even a meter and, uh, it's yeah, it rapidly uh, colonizes whole mountainsides. Like right now, even if the whole world woke up, I doubt we would really dent the population of San Pedro in the Andes. It's that incredibly dense. So it's a much more uh, eco-friendly entheogen. Oh yeah, it's completely sustainable uh, thing for the masses to be able to be involved in. And and the best part is, it, it's really hard to kill in its native environment. So when you're harvesting it, as long as you harvest a piece to plant and uh, you use the rest of it, then when you come back, uh, you'll have two cacti. So it's very easy to propagate by simply uh, collecting it. If I wanted to start a farm in my house, uh, you know, it would be pretty easy. Pretty easy, man. Unless you live in a place <laughs> that gets uh, below freezing and stays there for a couple days at a time, then it gets harder. All right. <laughs> One of the interesting facts I, I came across researching for the show is the Quechuan translation for Wachuma? Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of really funny that the word we know uh, as a more traditional word than San Pedro is Quechua because the people who speak Quechua uh, don't traditionally use psychoactives. I mean, they might have a little bit of coca as a very ceremonial uh, sacrament, but they, for the most part, they, they stay away from all sorts of psychoactives, especially psychedelics. And so the word Wachuma can be translated to removing the head. And I don't know if this is like a, uh, a metaphor for like thinking with the heart or living through the heart or something like that or removing the ego. Or mm -hmm. it could have been when the Spanish came and they saw you practicing this religion, they would cut your head off. <laughs> I'm not really sure which one, but all I can say is it's definitely not the original name. <laughs> wow. It reminded me of um, Breaking Open the Head, the Daniel oh, yeah, Pinchbeck yeah. Uh, book, um, which I guess was also... Um, there's a relationship with uh, the Buidi tribe um, with their use of ibogaine. I guess that was his, you know, source of of that uh, book title. I think that that's what kind of. I guess they call their ritual breaking open the head. I'm not sure if they call it that, but that's a good translation for the experience in just uh, I guess three words hmm. or four words because that was a word. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm, I'm, I'm very curious. So can you tell us more about um, your, your path um, to, you know, to, to Peru from the U.S.? You mentioned a couple of times, and we've kind of skated around um, the legal trouble that, that you ran into here in the U.S. You, know, you had this, little, this, this awakening as a teenager, self-awakening, um, and you, you spent more time working with entheogens and sort of, you know, I guess, developing um, your, your own uh, different brews and things, and, and you had a little bit of legal trouble. Could you maybe kind of start there, tell us a little bit more about that as much as you're comfortable sharing and then tell us how yes. that led you to Peru. Absolutely. So it started back when I was 16. Like I said, I had a bunch of mushrooms and uh, thought I met God and uh, was kind of just like, okay, I know there's more to this reality. You can't convince me otherwise at this point because my memories say, say so. So uh, this, I remember in high school reading about a mushroom shaman from Huaca, Mexico, Maria Sabina. And I found some of the 
the information around her like extremely fascinating and started to see that there was there was something to this mushroom experience in my life and uh lo and behold uh, a year later i dropped out of high school uh to work as an emt ironically i didn't have a diploma so i couldn't and uh, i found myself exploring uh, ayahuasca and san pedro the very next year uh and the world of shamanism kind of opened up but in the west this was back i guess 2008 uh there, this was kind of a new subject, and there, there really weren't anyone, uh, wasn't really anyone around to talk to. There was no local shamans per se. So, what do you do when you have the internet and you know a kitchen? <laughs> you make you make tea, <laughs> right? And so, uh, it it just became uh, a, a process of how do you work with each one of these different plants, and each one of these plants has its own remarkable uh, experience, and you can create and craft uh, unique and just truly awesome things with with nothing more than hot water at most times. So I found this the the obvious next step and uh, started doing this more frequently. The cactus, for me, uh, I discovered was the more consistent thing. The mushrooms I'd have to grow. It would be several weeks of feeling like really sketchy in the U.S. Or I'd have to pick them out of a field and that was also sketchy. Uh, other psychedelics like LSD, way too complicated to even begin to try and facilitate in your apartment. So right. the natural, the natural uh, process here for me was the San Pedro. And I learned very quickly that there was uh, like regular San Pedro. And then there was this other thing that was like, holy shit, this is, this is quite something else. Like I don't know how people don't know about this. And I found this to be the Bolivian San Pedro known as Bridge Aside. And if I'm not mistaken. The Peruvian Torch? Is that the? Well, no, it's the Bolivian San Pedro. Okay. And it's, I think it's actually named after the actor Jeff Bridges, who stars in Tron in The Big Lebowski. <laughs> <laughs> so for some more information, uh, you can search uh, Jeff Bridges' cactus, and you'll get a really interesting phallic pose of his. And, uh, <laughs> you know, strangely enough. The dude abides. Yeah, he does abide, man. So, and I see those sweaters here all the time, I got to tell you. <laughs> nice. funny. So I started to get into San Pedro a little bit more and uh, uh, ayahuasca and dieting that. And I, I, by, the, by the time I was in my second year of ayahuasca, I had uncovered the, the truth of the first mushroom experience, which I said kind of like unhinged me. I was a little bit of a plant zealot at that point. Like, you know what, just shut up and eat this mushroom uh, <laughs> and we'll talk later type thing. So I, f I got these memories back of seeing it was me giving myself these sort of lessons about life and stuff. And uh, about a week later, I found the State Bureau of Investigation in the Sheriff's Department doing a tandem raid on my roommate's uh, room. So I got to uh, get involved quite quickly with the State Bureau of Investigation uh, as he sold a quarter pound of mushrooms to a sheriff. Oof. And uh, after that, it was the night before finals, I went to... I went to jail for a week and failed all of my classes because who in the hell is going to skip their finals? So I used up all my sick days. And uh, lo and behold, I found myself getting out of jail. Uh, my mom came down, bailed me out. And it was just like it, it began in the U.S. for me. I spent about a year and a half going back and forth uh, to Boone, North Carolina, where this all took place. And arguing my, my position and saying, like, hey, look, this whole, this whole thing was, like, uh, you know, you didn't have a search warrant from me. You had no uh, – they prosecuted me through the destruction of evidence that I was never served a warrant for. And so it seemed like there was too many holes in this case for it to actually go through. So I fought it to the end until I went to uh, 
it was, I was about to go to jury trial, and I, th I think it was my final hearing before the judge ruled, and I watched a guy who went to jail uh, in the same night I did two years beforehand uh, go to prison for like 15 years. And I was like, okay, so at this point, it's just good to say I'm really sorry and I don't have a case and please let me go. <laughs> so I pretty much just begged like, hey, look, I, I was wrong. Uh, I didn't, I didn't like, wasn't selling any drugs to anyone. I wasn't extracting anything. Like the amount was here was like one dose of this and one dose of that. And I'm just very sorry. And he said, well, you know, you've already pled guilty. So I, uh, I have to sentence you, but I, I hope that you continue your education and get your doctorate in chemistry so you can, uh, help, help more people. And for me, that was kind of like this point of liberation. Like, wow, this, wow. this, this, uh, authority figure said, you know what, like, we have to go through with the system, but uh, I, I don't see you as a problem. So I agreed to nine years of federal penitentiary, and he ended up giving me two years of probation, which was actually a suspended sentence. So I did it through the parole office since it was all felonies. And uh, it was like another two years of extreme paranoia that uh, started out with my brother giving the, the local police a large amount of cactus and mescaline extraction gear and saying that, in fact, I was extracting more mescaline while on parole for mescaline extraction and it got more complicated and uh wow <laughs> i learned to lay really low <laughs> and uh work my ass off at a local deli and uh strangely enough my time at the deli was uh duly suited for me uh cooking ayahuasca cooking cactus because i ended up taking the deli over and running it and uh it wasn't any question as to what i was cooking because i was preparing all the food and no one was examining the pots it was I was there six days a week, 13 days out of two weeks sometimes. Like, <laughs> so it ended up being a tutorial for myself every day for two years. It's, oh, where's Max? Well, oh, he's, uh, he's working. Okay, well, I don't need to see him today. So <laughs> it was a, a beautiful situation. It was like, oh, I want some shamanic training. Uh, so here you go. And by the way, if you, uh, if you get caught smoking marijuana, it's nine years in prison. So wow. if, yeah, it was all my, all my consequences were nine years in prison. And it was like, all right, okay, I'll play the game. So I played the game, got out of everything, said I was really sorry to the DEA and that they still had no case and they finally dropped it. Uh, and then a week after my, uh, probation ended, I found myself exploring Peru. And that's when I started like kind of sketching out like, okay, I can come to this country and I can be safe here. So I'd spent a bunch of money, uh, went back to the States, delivered pizza for a while, and then came back here and figured it's time to make it or break it. Because at this point, I was doing a boga in the U.S., and I had a pretty serious history, and anything with a boga is a pretty serious conviction. So I figured it's, uh, it's time, to, time to follow this path outside of the Western, Western world. And so I, I kind of like packed up and moved and I started the Peru. Yeah, Max, you know, I'm listening to your story and there's so many things passing through my head. But the one that I can't get away from is, uh, you know, all of these all of these things that happen to you, all of the charges, all this. It's like we're we're talking about a person who is playing with plants right in their house, yeah, yeah. like plants. You know I, what I mean? It wasn't you didn't have like a meth lab in your room. You, you, you were like testing plants. I can't I can't get past like that idea. You know, it's yeah, they came in with guns and laser pointers and masks and uh, broke all the windows out because it was a laboratory. They tried to pay, have me pay for a reconstruction of the building because they thought it was a meth lab. So it it, it goes to show you how how uninformed or misinformed the law enforcement was. They were. Uh, in, the, in the final hearing trying to say like, oh, look, uh, I wrote a paper and in it I was talking about the MAOI diet for ayahuasca. 
And they tried to say, well, the DMT that he's making, giving people is dangerous, as if it was uh, a contraindication of someone on the MAOI diet, uh, like disobeying those prescriptions. And so, you know, it was just this like, oh, he's the second person to get in trouble for this. What do we do? Let's make a, let's make a, an example out of it. But, it, you know, it, it didn't really go that far. <laughs> yeah, it sounds yeah, like they didn't, they, they didn't know what to make of it, really. Yeah, it was like, well, it's kind of like a ceremonial snuff. Uh, <laughs> like, he's snorting stuff. Get him. <laughs> yeah, 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 pretty much. You're like, listen, why don't you calm down, eat one of my sandwiches, and we'll talk about this tomorrow. <laughs> uh, yeah, if only it was uh, so simple. So <laughs> Come by the deli around noon. <laughs> well, you know, the funny part, once I started at this deli, um, I ended up getting involved uh, with community service because that was a part of my, uh, my program. And so I decided to do my stuff at the church because it was right across the street. Turns out my friend was kind of working as a janitor there. He knew the, the priest, and it was a go-ahead situation. Well, the priest, turned out, was addicted to mephedrine and uh, other weird bath salts that he was importing by the ounce. And this is like a local uh, like a community figurehead where people are like, oh, wow, the, this guy, he spoke so... Uh, so from the heart, and it really moved us, and he's been doing this for years and years and years in this community, and this guy is saying things like, well, you know, I was doing this, that, and the other, and I, I don't want to, like, you know, someone might put the dots together, but it was really things that a priest shouldn't be saying, and so he's, he found me pretty peculiar, and he was like, why are you so calm? Because they were all kind of jacked up from bath salts. And I was like, well, it's because I'm not snorting weird powders I get from everything on the internet. Uh, and I also do plants. And so I told him a little bit about DMT and I told him a little bit about uh, cactus. And he was like, great, I'll order both of those things and you can go ahead and make them for me. Wow. I was like, sure, you know, I feel like I'm like, called to do this. This is an honorable thing. I will uh, be co- like covert with the law and I will help this pastor with his practice. Great. So I ended up making him some DMT and uh, uh, making him some MAOIs, and he, uh, he, he does them both and says, you know what, like that experience was so intense, I don't need the cactus, and I don't need drugs ever again. And for about three months, this guy spoke most passionately, and like, uh, you could hear people talking about it around town, like, oh, did you, did you, were you there last week, and we talked about this, you could, he was really connected, and so it was like, wow, you know, this priest has changed everything, but what do I do with this eight feet of uh, Bolivian San Pedro. Uh, well, I guess I'll, I'll eat more than I never have before because what I would do is I'd wait till about Saturday night after I worked six days and say, okay, good night, guys. I'm going to bed. And then I would uh, have my cactus experience till midday Sunday, spend the rest of Sunday recovering, Monday, repeat my week. So this time I figured, hey, no different. Let's just try with like a meter or so uh, before I'd been doing one or two feet. And so I was like, yeah, what the hell? What do I, what do I got to live for at this point? Like, you know, what is my life? Let's go cactus. And so we did. And uh, it turned out to be more intense and more uh, visionary and transformative than uh, any experience that I'd ever had up to that point, like akin to breakthroughs with ayahuasca or the first experience with mushrooms, but uh, in a whole other different way. And I had this incredible experience where I was uh, pretty much given a new body and I was connected to this energy of ancient cactus and uh, I saw like I saw the meaning in, in everything and all of the struggles and uh, from there it was kind of like okay I thought I was like uh, maybe able to pretend and go back to western world and, and say these things didn't happen to me and you know go to school and just to forget it but after that experience it was like no Peru is where you're going to go and uh it just it didn't really give any explanation as to how, but 
it was very, very clear about that. So, and also the fact that I had such an extraordinary experience with people called San Pedro uh, only led me to, to ask more questions and investigate my own practice further. So when I did finally make it to Peru two years later, uh, I found myself at the San Pedro temple asking the sh a local shaman for a visionary dose of San Pedro, and he said it's not possible. And this is a shaman at a San Pedro temple, and he's telling me it's not possible. You've got to be kidding me. So he says, well, um, and, and, you know, I've read about this thing called Brugmansia. I've actually dieted Brugmansia. Um, I've grown it. It's, it's toe, it's uh, angel's flower, dat, tree datura. It's very dangerous. And uh, I'm, I'm extremely aware that it's a, it's a cheap explosive in terms of psychedelic brews and shamanic practicing. So when the person says, I want more fireworks, the shaman often goes, well, I'll add a flower. And at the expense of your health, slightly more deleterious, you get an experience that in most cases is beyond measure. And so we talked to this guy. It's well translated that, in fact, we won't permit any amount of this because I'm here for the pure San Pedro. And he agrees we pay for the ceremonial production of it, not just, the, not just him brewing it. People come in with feathers and bells. And, you know, it's this whole big thing. And finally, at the end of the night, he comes in with a handful of these flowers. And he shakes them over the pot. And we're like, okay, so maybe he's putting the pollen in. I can accept that. It's kind of like a blessing of the, the teacher plant. Okay, San Pedro Temple, sure. And... Uh, and then he just puts them all in, like maybe 12 flowers or so, and this is for four people. That's a, that's a very large and dangerous dose. And he says, at this point, you can drink it, but you have to leave my house immediately. Uh, and we, we tell him, you know, that's, that's like very dangerous. We don't, we don't think that's a good idea. So we ask to take it with us and drink it somewhere else, safer. And he says, you have to pay double if you want to take it. So we end up just leaving, and, and kind of uh, that got my eyes open to the world of like uh, – like Dramanism and shamantrapreneuring and shamanism, right. Right. Uh, the clever guy, you know. So it, it kind of it was a little bit heartbreaking. I almost left Peru thinking like, well, this was a big scam. The whole noble savage thing for me was just totally obliterated. And so what am I going to do? So the, one of the last nights I'm here, uh, this guy in a band in Cusco gives me some San Pedro resin, and I got to say it was the best stuff anyone gave me in my life, and it completely. Uh, reversed my previous perception of San Pedro shamanism and I had a little bit of hope. So I went back to the States and uh, came back here for the like, I'm going to make it or break it type thing and uh, ended up connecting with a really interesting guy who lives at the San Pedro temple and uh, I, I, I have to say the time there was extremely valuable to me and when I finally came out of that sort of like uh, diet of sorts where you're just away. There's one computer in the town. You have to rent it for internet. There's people in line behind you to get it. You know, kids are on your lap and it's down for two weeks at a time. So you really kind of just drop out of the whole uh, world that, that you're a part of if you were part of the Western world. And that, that for me, I think was like the, the, final, the final part of my, my process. And I was like, all right, you know, I'm ready to share this with people at this point. I'm doing it for myself. I'm doing it here. Uh, I'm preparing... Uh, this medicine for years, it's, it's time. So I went to Cusco and uh, things just started off immediately and I met a group of people and a couple months later I found myself returning having sold all my stuff to a place that was just an idea called Munai Medicine and uh, nine months later I'm in top floor of our hotel looking out on the property with fiber optic internet talking to you guys. <laughs> That's great. I can, so. I can hear the birds in the background too as you've been speaking and telling this fascinating story. I can like hear... Oh. 
the birds in the background. I can just, it's like I'm back there. It's, it's pretty cool. I'm in PSAC, is that where you were? Um, I, I went to PSAC only for a day. I was mostly in Cusco um, when I wasn't doing, you know, like more touristy things like uh, going on rafting trips or whatever. But, uh, but yeah, I just did like a day trip to, day trip to PSAC. I was mostly in uh, Cusco up the hill, actually a little bit past uh, the neighborhood we were talking about before and like a really quiet mm. part of town. Um, but yeah, I was doing trips here and there, um, but, but mostly, mostly in Cusco. Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful place. It really comes alive during the the rainy season. Like I said, the dry season it really reminds me of Mars, and it's a it's kind of foreboding. And yeah. now it's like extremely lush. Everything looks like you know it's painted by that crazy artist with a white afro. <laughs> <laughs> so now that we've got the uh, biographical background uh, on on you, Max, uh, which is a f- awesome, fascinating story. Um, it really sets the stage uh, for the rest of this interview i think in part two we'll go more into um you know you'll take us through uh some of your theories and and uh practices at munai um and how, how one of your ceremonies works and uh and get a little bit more information on that um so stay tuned for part two <laughs>